This is Cross Hope with Randy Snyder. Cross Hope is broadcast daily and shares five minutes of hope and encouragement from the Word of God. Our companion website is www.crosshope.org. Now with today's uplifting message, here's Randy. Well, many of you know that I have spent 30 years listening to the same preacher every Sunday on the radio, Ben Hayden of Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was a former an attorney, a newspaper editor who got called into the ministry maybe a little bit later in life, but he was powerful. And I spent six hours with him one weekend just asking one question after another, and I asked about preaching. And he, he was very pointed. He said, Randy, if you don't get people's attention in the first two or three minutes, you've lost them. I can tell some of you are gone already. No, that's not true. I'm just joking. But that's what he said. You've got to get people's attention. And he said, Randy, you know my preaching, he said, and I use what I call a hook, a story to begin with, to get people's attention. And I read a sermon recently by a woman minister. Not going to debate that issue at all. I'm just telling you, I read her sermon. And she got me the first 30 seconds with her sermon and then later on had a powerful quote that I'm going to share later on in the message. But I'm going to read to you what she got up and said at a congregation. I've decided to take this opportunity. Her name's Whitney. I've decided to take this opportunity to stand in the pulpit today to tell you about my past. In my younger and badly behaved days, I ran wild and did the following things that I really should have thought through a little more carefully. I got a tattoo. I drank too much. I danced on the roof of my dorm. I kissed on the first date, wink, wink. I bought a motorcycle. I wore a mini skirt and a tube top to a job interview. And then I got ordained to the ministry. And then she paused. And then she said, actually, none of those things are true, except me getting ordained into the ministry. That got my attention, reading that paragraph as she spoke and told about her life. But she says something you know, that I'll share in a few minutes, very powerful. It has to do with your covenant relationship with the Lord. And that's the operative word today, the word covenant. You may not think of yourself as being in covenant relationships. How many of you either have a house loan or a car loan? Raise your hand. You're in a covenant. You stepped into a covenant the minute you signed that. If you've ever had any kind of contractual agreement for something, you're in a covenant. And isn't it interesting? That's the word that the Old Testament uses to describe our relationship with God the Father. It's a covenant relationship. That Jeremiah says God established it. It's his covenant, and we buy into it. We step into the covenant. Come with me to the New Testament, and we're in a covenant, the new covenant. And I want to tell you something. I'm embarrassed to admit this. I don't even know if David knows this, and I'm serious about this. I've never known that the passage of Scripture that we're studying today in Jeremiah is quoted in its entirety in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, the eighth chapter. I never knew that. I consciously don't remember ever being told that in a seminary class about this passage. And that is important for several reasons. 
It shows you that the Bible is a unified story about redemption. It's connected. And you know who the hero of the story is? Jesus. Prophetically in the Old Testament and literally in the New Testament, Jesus is the hero. It's all about Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Well, I hope you realize that you and I as believers in Christ are in a covenant relationship, a covenant relationship with God the Father through the Son, crossover.org. I want you to listen as I read from Jeremiah 31 today, just a few verses that are quoted in their entirety in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. One of the saddest phrases for a husband or wife to hear, and nobody uses it, I'm sure, today, but I broke covenant with you. To break covenant with a marriage partner is very serious. To break covenant with the Lord is the most serious thing of all. To break covenant with the Lord. With the people of Israel, after that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. You need to remember that last phrase. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. I'm just going to tell you right now what I was going to tell you later. When God says, I will remember your sins no more, it's not because he's old and senile. It's because he chooses not to remember. You don't have that power. I don't have that power to say, I will not remember the sin of so-and-so. But God does. He says, I choose not to remember their sins. Well, I want to talk about this passage because I think it's a powerful story of we're in a covenant relationship. And if you don't go home with anything else today, you go home with that. I'm in a covenant relationship with the Lord God Almighty. Derek Delane is a minister in the Raleigh-Durham area. He says, my children have a little book about a pig who wants to become a sheep. Interesting. So the pig speaks with the German shepherd dog, and he tells the pig, that he could become a sheep, he simply has to follow the direction of the shepherd. So as he does, he eventually becomes more and more like a sheep. The pig's skin begins to grow tufts of fluff, and his oink begins to morph into a bleat. Things are good until the pig turns sheep, begins to desire the slop and the filth of the old pigsty. And he wanders off, and makes a mess of his new wool and trades in his fresh green grass and protection of the shepherd to the slop, filth, and lonely life of a pig yet again. That's a parable. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Do you know what the heavenly meaning is? That's what people do who break covenant with the Lord. They go back to the slop 
of the past. They go back to the dirt of the past, and they reject the covenant they're in. That's exactly what happens to believers who do that. And I want you to understand what Jeremiah said in the Old Testament about people breaking covenant with the Lord is something the Hebrew writer says. That's what people do today in the Hebrew time, in the writing of Hebrews. They break covenant with the Lord. What's it mean to break covenant? To choose to walk in the other direction. Well, anyone you know, or even yourself, have you ever made the choice to walk in the opposite direction of the Lord's love and the Lord's care and the Lord's word? Many people have. We're continuing this message tomorrow on CrossHope. That's CrossHope.org. And you know what people do? They say, oh, I'll try to do better. And it's not a matter of trying. It's a matter of getting a new heart. Derek, who I just quoted from Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, said, remember how the people of God had hard hearts? Our hearts are no different. Our hearts will somehow try to convince us that we really don't have any issues and any issues that we just simply have to try harder. I will try to love my spouse better than what I do now. I will try to not get angry with my children. I will try not to look at pornography anymore. I will try not to be a racist. I will try not to be so cold-hearted to the plight of other people. I will try to do better. I will try to figure it out myself because I'm a smart individual. And you know what Derek says about that? All that does is feed our self-righteousness and allows us to continue to be the kings and queens of our little kingdoms. Our heart is deceptive, and it will lead us to our destruction. So God says he needs to give us a new heart. That's what the passage we read says. Basically, God told the people of Judah, you need a complete transformation from inside out. And it's only when you have been transformed and your heart has been changed that you can truly fall in love with the Lord and love Him the way you were created to love Him and to truly love those around you. Here's the bottom line of the message. You don't need to try harder to do anything, and neither do I. You need a new heart. And that's what Jeremiah said God was going to do. And it's really remarkable what he says. I, in verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel at that time. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. You know what that's talking about? An inside job. Anything that happens spiritually is on the inside where you live. It's not an intellectual thing. Ultimately, it's a heart thing. And he said, I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Does that say anything to anybody today? It should. I will be their God and they will be my people. Verse 34. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. What would happen if you really believed that last sentence? Now think about that. That's a pretty dramatic statement. You know, the Old Testament people lived in the shadow of the truth. We live in the light. The Old Testament was pointing the way to the Messiah. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming, and He will be the one we look for. In the New Testament, the Messiah comes. His name is Jesus. 
And He gives His life in a sacrificing, atoning death on the cross for our sins. And we live in the reality. We live in the reality of that. Oswald Chambers said this, when I have really transacted business with God on the basis of His covenant, I let everything else go with no sense of personal achievement, no human ingredient at all. Instead, there's a complete overwhelming sense of being brought into union with God, and my life is transformed and radiates peace and joy because of the covenant relationship. I really think we need to start thinking as Christians in terms of covenant. We're not in a business deal. We're not even in a spiritual contract. We're in a covenant relationship with God the Father through the Son. Let me say that again. We are in a covenant relationship with God the Father through God the Son. Well, I really want you to hear tomorrow's program on CrossHope. That's CrossHope.org. I'm going to tell you a humorous story, and I'm going to use myself, which I probably shouldn't do, but let's say that when Annie and I met, this is totally hypothetical. It's not anything to do with reality, although some people might say, well, it sounds good to me, but here's the deal. Let's suppose that I met Annie and I had one date with her, and somebody, a divine being, an angel or whatever, says, okay, Randy, you're going to marry her in 18 months but you're not going to see her until the wedding day. So you, you've met her, you've had one date with her, and you're going to go 18 months without seeing her. But Annie's going to give you a picture of herself. And every day you'll be able to look at that 5 by 7 photograph and look at her. And then the person who wrote this story said, wouldn't it be crazy if on the day of our wedding I stood in front of the church with her standing next to me and I'm looking at the picture. And I'm just constantly looking at her picture. Annie would say, hey, I'm over here. I'm here in the room. I'm not the picture anymore. And he made the application. That's what a lot of people do with the Lord. Someday I'm going to have a relationship with the Lord. But I'll look at a picture of him. And the Lord says, I'm here. I'm here with you right now. And you can accept me into your life. And I can become a reality in your life, and it's called a covenant relationship. Let me go back to Whitney. You know, I, I read that first paragraph, and I was, it got my attention, and I thought, boy, this is a smart aleck gal that's going to be talking to me in this sermon. But listen to what she said a few pages later. Our relationship to the Lord begins in a place of failure. I love that. Your relationship, my relationship with the Lord begins in a place of failure. Israel broke the covenant God made with them when God rescued them from Egypt. And she says this, how many times have you broken your Christian commitments? Most people would say, I've lost count. All of us could say that. How many times have we failed to seek and to serve Christ in all people, loving our neighbors as ourselves? We begin the journey of transformation, she said, amid a mess of our own making. That's interesting. You begin your spiritual journey in a mess of your own making. We must begin with a straightforward acknowledgement of our own sin and failure. Your spiritual journey, please go home with this. 
doesn't begin with some religious statements that you make. It begins with saying, I have failed. And I have sinned. And I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. That's where the journey really begins. And she's absolutely right. But God's response to our failure is not to say, uh, we may need to scale things down. We need to slow down this relationship since you're a failure. You know what the Lord says? God's response is, I want to be closer to you now than ever before. I want to be closer to you now more than ever before, and I'll put my law within you. And I'll write it on your hearts, quoting from Jeremiah. God found the whole group of us who couldn't fulfill our promises and say, I'm going to call you to an additional set of promises. This time, you're going to promise to be diligent in reading and studying the Bible, to minister the Word of God of the New Covenant, to be faithful to whom God has called you to serve, and to be an example to other people. Some of you have never thought of yourself as an example to anybody, but you are. You can be a bad example. You can be a good example. You can be a neutral example. But all of us have people who watch what you say and what you do. When we ministered in Columbus, Ohio for 18 years, the assistant superintendent of schools of the area was a member of the church. Steve Drummond was his name. I didn't know a lot about him. I knew he was a Marine during the Korean War. Recently, somebody sent me the book of his experience as a POW. I didn't realize he was not captured by the North Koreans. He was captured by the Chinese communists who also invaded South Korea in the, that famous battle where thousands of Communist Chinese came over a hill and just it was an amazing, horrible battle. And Steve was badly wounded with shrapnel in his legs. He couldn't walk. He said he couldn't even stand. He had to scoot on his bottom across the ground. That's how bad he was. And so when he got to the Chinese prison camp, they knew he needed surgery. So he had two surgeries. The first surgery, no one spoke English in the operating room, and the Chinese nurse held up a bottle, and he saw the word chloroform. He knew they were going to put him out with chloroform, and they did. And he had surgery on his leg, was taken back to a cell with another American prisoner, and his roommate in the prison cell said, Steve, all you said when you were coming out of the chloroform anesthetic, here's what he said over and over. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Which told them that he had been interrogated at the very least before surgery, or they may have done worse and tortured him. Because that's all he said over and over a hundred times. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You say, why do you tell that story? Well, I want to talk about his second surgery. He was able to, they thought, to have second surgery with a local anesthetic in his leg. Said so it was the biggest mistake of his life. It was horribly painful. He's in the operating room. He's awake while the Chinese surgeons and nurses who don't speak any English in his thinking, he said nobody seemed to understand English at all. And I was awake while they were operating on me. I said one psalm 
over and over. I want to read that psalm to you, just a few verses. And here's what Steve Drummond, having surgery with a local anesthetic, said, Psalm 121, a song of his sins, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. One more verse, I think the Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Now catch the irony. People who are operating on him, Chinese communist people, a part of the military, are doing surgery with local anesthetic. And all he says over and over is this psalm. I will look unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Didn't have any impact on them that we know of. Because they couldn't understand it. But there were a set of ears, so to speak, that heard him. The Lord. And my friend, the God who heard Steve in a prison camp in North Korea, hears you today. Crossope.org. You've been listening to Cross Hope with Randy Snyder. For more information about this ministry or to re-listen to any message heard on this broadcast, go to our website at crosshope.org. Be sure to join us at this same time each weekday or listen at www.crosshope.org. Cross Hope is listener supported and is produced by Cross Hope Ministries Incorporated.